Um, let's try that again. Good morning. How are we? Good. good. All right. Good. Um, as I was saying, we're going to do something just a tad different than what we normally do. Don't freak out. It's okay. Um, it's, it's customary here at Redeemer that, that we just teach straight through the book of the Bible. And um, we, we do that so that we can hear exactly what it is that God is saying, that we're not just picking and choosing texts for our own purposes, but instead um, we get to see the entire counsel of Scripture and uh, whatever God wants for us, we, we, we take it and uh, it, it's always good. Um, so we're going to keep doing that today. We're going to teach through um, the Gospel of John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4. This is the, the first letter of John chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can do that. And um, what's different though is, is that we, we don't normally give you like this nice and neat little outline, you know, bullet points for you to follow. And uh, today I'm going to do that for you. And some of you are actually thinking, Paul, where have you been all my life? Um, I'm a dedicated note taker and I like that structure. Um, and some of you might be rightfully a little bit worried that I'm going to be cute today. Um, but I promise you, the outline that I'm going to give you is, is not um, just to be cute. Um, my my father-in-law will routinely say that the English language is a marvelous tool. And I agree with him. And so the, the, the words that I'm choosing today for our outline are meant just to be a tool so that we can remember what we, um, what we hear this morning and then take it away with us. So here are, uh, here are the three main points I want you to be looking for today. And all three are about the gospel. All right, the first point is this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ authenticates a spiritual teacher. The gospel of Jesus authenticates a spiritual teacher. Point two, that the gospel of Jesus resonates with his people. And point three, that the gospel replicates his love in our lives. So the gospel authenticates, resonates, and replicates. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's start reading together. In 1 John chapter four, we're beginning in verse one, and we're gonna go all the way through verse 12. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and, and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, this is the love of, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's just say a quick word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for 
your word. And we thank you that at first glance, um, it's not easy. Because what it reminds us of is, is that we are, that we still have a lot to learn. And that we are far off from where we need to be. And that there are deep things that we don't understand. And so I ask that this morning, that whatever is, is uh, fuzzy or hazy would become clear. That your spirit would move and work and help us to see what it is that's going on here that we might act in love toward one another as you have desired. Amen. All right, there's a, a game show that you've probably seen, heard of. It's called To Tell the Truth. And it's been uh, rebooted several times over the last 60 years. And I've only seen like one small part of one episode, but the, the gist of it is, is this, is you've got three people who are all claiming to be the same person. And this person has some kind of an interesting job or unique situation in life. And then you've got four celebrities who are asking those people questions, trying to figure out who is authentic. So they're all claiming to be this one person, and uh, the celebrities are, are just trying to figure out what questions they can ask to cut right to the chase and figure out who's telling the truth about who they are and, and, and who's lying, because one of them actually is legit, has this very interesting, you know, lot in life. Um, and so, like I said, it's been running, you know, I think since like 1956, rebooted multiple times, different hosts, whatever. And uh, basically, you know, I think it's successful because A, people like celebrities, but then B, I think that we're intrigued by people who, who have like a bold claim on their life, who think that they've got something special um, about who they are. But then also, we like to test our wits against liars. We like to play detective. And now that I think about it, um, it's a little bit like parenting. Um, when you've got multiple kids, you're trying to figure out what happened, and you're trying to ask just the right question to figure out who's responsible and, who, you know, and who's lying. Um, I did that this morning. Um, and in John chapter 4, he begins this passage in like manner, and he's saying this. There are liars among you, and they are making bold claims because they're, they're saying that, that I have a word to you from God. I have some sort of spiritual advice or spiritual direction for you, and you need to do what I say. But listen to what he's saying. He's saying, don't be naive. He commands them, do not listen to everyone. Do not believe everything you hear. And he says, look, you have to be discerning. And then he tells us how to do that, and we're going to get there. But here's something that makes this whole idea even more complex, and I think this would even hit home for us in our communities. Um, is, is it the, it's really possible, quite likely, that the, the false prophets that he's talking about are people who used to be in their Christian community, that they were leaders, that they were teachers, that they were friends, that they were mentors who left the church and are now teaching heresy. And so he's asking them to be, to be critical, not for, for criticism's sake, but to be critical and discerning of these people even when there are relationships on the line. And so this is a very, very big deal. Look at how he says um, that, that he is to test them. He says this that they are to test the spirits. And you know, I don't know about you, but when I see that test the spirits, that seems kind of strange and awkward to me. I'm not really sure exactly what he's saying at first glance. Um, but here's all he's saying, that there is a root, like a root source 
to every single message. And so if, you are a, if, if you're a spiritual teacher claiming to have spiritual truth, you're either A, inspired in some way by the Spirit of God, that God has given you this message, or B, you're not inspired by the Spirit of God, and therefore your message is demonic. And um, I use that word demonic because he talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, and that's what that is. And so, but before you shut me off on that one, listen for just a second. Um, because I know you start talking about demonic messages and that gets a little bit, that gets a little bit funky, but, but think of it in this way. He's not saying that you would necessarily have to like um, summon and consult with demons before you give a talk to have a demonic message. I wanna give you an example. In the Gospel of John chapter eight, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees and listen to what he tells them. He tells them, you can't understand what I'm saying because you're of your father, the devil. Now, if you don't know anything about the Pharisees, let me tell you something about them. They were deeply religious people. They had memorized God's laws and they followed them, at least outwardly, to a T. And they even added some extra ones to follow too because they wanted everyone to know that they were you know, super religious, very holy. And yet, Jesus calls them of their father, the devil. So these guys weren't demon worshipers. They weren't carrying around pentagrams, okay? That wasn't, their, that wasn't their MO. But they did have a message and they had a way of living that was, that was contrary to the gospel. It was contrary to Jesus. And so that's why whenever Jesus shows up and starts talking about sin, they want to kill him. And in fact, they accomplished that later, but um, they didn't want to have anything to do with repentance because they denied John the Baptist and his work and they didn't want to have anything to do with, with Jesus and his, his mission, his atonement. And so because of that, they were of the devil and Jesus, Jesus tells them that. And so this is consistent with what John has already said in this letter that the Antichrist, this is chapter two, um, is the one who denies the son. In other words, you don't have to be a card-carrying demon worshiper to speak a demonic message. You either have to deny what Scripture says about him, about Jesus, or you just simply have to omit him from your teaching. In either case, your message would then be of demonic origin because the, the, the enemy wants us to forget that we're sinful, and the enemy wants us to, to, to not recognize our need for Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. So listen to what John says um, actually does authenticate a teacher. Here's the test, very simple, verse two. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now man, when I read that, the very first thing I think is why such a simple, short phrase? That's all it was. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And honestly, to me, it almost seems a little bit Random as well, this is one little, very small thing. Here's your test. Here's the question that you ask. Um, but, but I think that if you begin to unpack it and then unravel and, and just unfold all that, it, that, that follows from this statement, I think it makes a lot of sense and it's actually quite sophisticated. So let's do that for just a second. If you've got someone who's teaching that Jesus is the Christ, the God-man, the Messiah, come in the flesh, you have to start talking about why he would do that. You have to then address why would God humble himself to become a human being and then go on, as we know that Jesus did and John knew, go on to suffer 
and die horribly on the cross. You have to ask yourself, why in the world would God do that? And the reason was, is because of our great need. Humanity lost, hopeless in sin. Now here God comes in the flesh to take care of that for us. And so if you're teaching Christ come in the flesh, what you're really teaching is you're teaching the gospel. You're teaching the good news about what Jesus has done. Um, and so we know just to contrast that with a false teacher, false teachers don't want to do that. They don't want to give glory to God. Instead, they want to either give glory to themselves, look at me, or they want to give glory to their listeners. And, and actually, that's quite possibly what's happening here. Um, historically, people have viewed 1 John as a response to a heresy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was this idea that, that you could gain salvation by just, just like by gaining some special knowledge. Like if you just realized that you've got this enlightened, divine thing inside of you, then, then you're good. Like you just you kind of stumble upon that knowledge, dive into that a little bit, and then you're saved, and you've got all that you need to have a happy life. And, you know, I think what we realize is there's not really a whole lot of new stuff under the sun. I don't know if you remember this, but in 2006, there was a book called The Secret that was released. And uh, The Secret essentially said the same thing. This woman decides, um, she, she has some, some rough uh, things that happen in her life, and she, she searches out all these major world religions, and she comes up with this, this idea that she calls The Secret. And The Secret was this idea that you have divine power within you. And by your own thoughts and by your own words, you can actually create your own reality. And that was a New York Times bestseller. The problem was is that it did not address sin and it did not address the atonement that Jesus accomplished. And so by John's test, obviously, that's false. And so, you know, I think a lot of times you can take a, an example like that that's very, very obvious and put it up against John's test, but we have to be willing to do that against um, influences that maybe are a little more subtle. Um, moving on a little bit, it is the gospel that, that authenticates a teacher, and that's true even for John himself. And when you read what he says in verse six, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. That sounds like, like the pinnacle of arrogance, right? If, if you're of God, then you're gonna listen to what I say. And if, if you're not of God, then you're gonna ignore what I say. Um, but here's the thing. It doesn't have anything to do with John. It's his message. You have to remember how this letter starts and what it is that John has experienced. John was a guy who spent years with the single most remarkable man in history. And he witnessed this remarkable man live sinless. I don't know anybody who even comes close to that. And he witnessed this remarkable man feed 5,000 people with nothing but a few loaves of bread and some fish. And he witnessed this man walk on water, and he went, witnessed this man at the transfiguration, and he saw this man die and horribly on the cross, and then he saw that man risen from the dead. He was dead and in the grave, and then he saw this man alive 
It's not that you see John and you think, because John's so great, I have to listen to him. It's because of what John is saying happened in history. And here's what I saw. This thing, this, this life that I have touched with my hands, I've seen with my eyes. And so John, he is authenticated not because he's John, but because he has the message. He has the gospel. And so he knew that Jesus was the answer to all unmet personal longings. Because he had some. And Jesus met those longings. He knows that John is the answer to every bit of small town political bickering, that he's the answer to all family dysfunction, to all uh, suburban hidden sin, to all cultural war and civil unrest, to all regional and global, global conflicts. He knows that, that Jesus is the remedy. And so he's saying, anyone who's saying anything other than, like if you claim to be a spiritual teacher and you're saying anything other than Jesus is the answer for you, then you're not on the same page with God. That's all he's saying. God has done this thing and you, you either agree with that and, and recognize it or you don't. And so this, this brings me to, to point number two is that the gospel resonates with believers. Again, he says this, whoever knows God listens to us and little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The gospel is a resonating pitch to those who are indwelled by the Spirit. The gospel is called out from the pulpit. It's called out in rooms when you're just sitting together telling one another the gospel to each other. And it is the thing that makes you lift your head because you know that you need it. And it is the sweetest thing to you because you realize that that is my access to God. That is my forgiveness. That is my freedom from guilt. And so if you're a believer, then that is the thing that is the most precious. And that is the thing that compels you to obedience. And so it's why we say the gospel every single week. It's why a week, a Sunday never goes by that we're not singing about the gospel, that we're not preaching the gospel from up here, that in GC we're not reviewing the gospel over and over and over again. It's why that whenever you confess sin that someone is there to tell you, yes, and you're forgiven, and you're forgiven. It's because we need it, and it is the sweetest thing that we know. The other thing is, is that John says that, that we, uh, we have overcome them. And by them, he's talking about the false prophets. And overcoming them just means this, is that, is that we are not submitting ourselves to their message. We're not gonna listen to it. We're not gonna tolerate um, uh, the message of a false prophet. And, and not only is it just because it's, it's sweet to us, it's because the spirit inside us is intent on bringing glory to Jesus. That's why the Spirit is here, that it might bring attention and glory to Jesus. And so let's, uh, let's move on to the second half of our text and, uh, and, and the final point. Um, the, the, the gospel replicates love. And replicate just means to, to make a copy. And I'm gonna read these verses again. Beloved, let us love one another. This is verse seven. For love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. All right, so a handful of things about this passage. Um, Propitiation, it's kind of a big fancy word. Don't be scared by it. What it means is is atoning sacrifice. And the idea is that um, Jesus was the sacrifice that satisfied the rightful anger of God against our sin. And then secondly, um, I would just like to point out that that John uses the word sent twice in this passage. And so God's love is a pursuing love. Third, God's love meets a legitimate need. Um, Before we know Jesus, we are spiritually dead and without hope. Fourth, our love for one another is one way in which we actually see God. Once again, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, Jesus says this, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So it stands to reason, and here it's verified in verse 12, that when we love like Jesus loved us, that we actually see the character of God reflected in our community. And so this is what I mean by the gospel replicates love. Um, We are called to love, but not out of what we just simply have to muster. That's what the world does. The world says, be good to one another, be kind, give it a try, right? Um, just, just, Just do it. That's not what the gospel does. The gospel does it in us, and then we just walk in it accordingly. Because we have been loved, now we have a model, we know what it looks like, and now we have the motivation, we have the fuel to be able to walk in that way like Jesus did. It's not something we don't just pull, up, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and start loving one another. We've seen it, we have it. And um, I would just like to take a minute um, just to point out that there's so much of that already going on here at Redeemer, and it is a beautiful thing. Um, as, I, as I look out in the room, um, there are so many of you who are here this morning because a, a faithful brother and sis, or sister just simply invited you to, to be here, that they invited you in to hear the gospel. And um, there, there are quite a few of you who get together every single week and you're reading scripture together, or you're getting, getting together for GC, and, and you're talking about what's going on with life, and um, you're carrying one another's, one another's burdens, and those things happened because of an invitation. Do you realize that an invitation is a pursuit? That when you approach someone, and you ask them, hey, let's do lunch. Hey, come to GC. Hey, we're doing a study, you wanna come? That is pursuit that mirrors the love of God that was sent to us through Jesus. You are going after one another. More examples, when you are pursuing your kids, when you're spending intentional time with your kids and with your spouse because you love them, because you see them, that is the pursuit kind of love that, that God exhibited in Jesus. I also see it, um, th- th- there's quite a few of you here that, that own businesses, and, and, and I, I see how you, how you use businesses and how you use your time and your resources um, to meet needs, that you do so without even, without even asking, that, that you take a step forward and you provide for people 
um, and, and use your time, your money, your resources, your employees to be a blessing. You are fixing up one another's homes. You are helping each other move. And, and there's so many of you who are making meals for one another. People have been sick, had the flu. Meals are showing up at people's doors. People are having babies. And um, meals are showing up at the door. Those kinds of things. You see one another. You are walking in that replicated love. And so I think the question for us this morning, I think what John is really trying to get us to, to look at is, is A, for some of you, it, it might be kind of a shock because this is not really how you live. It could be that, that you kind of live this very isolated life where you, you're just kind of about you and about maybe your immediate family and there's not really much of, a, of an outward seeing of other people. Um, and it could be that, that this morning we're gonna start a conversation and that for you, you're starting to think now, okay, whoa, I'm called to something more than just living just about me and mine. Instead, I'm called to live out a love for one another, for other brothers and sisters. And if that's you, that's great. That's cool. Because what you find is that as you start to let go of your time and resources, they don't have as much of a hold on you, and you realize that, um, man, all that stuff is more fun to give anyway. Um, and, and then it, it could be that, that you've already started to walk down this road a little bit, and I think that's where I'm at, where, where I'm still learning how to do this, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how, how do I do this better? How do I do this and still manage and juggle, like, loving my family and also loving other believers? Um, how, do I, how do I work my schedule? How do, how do I do this in a way that is effective and God-honoring to all of the relationships in my life? And that is not an easy thing to do. And what we can't do here is we can't compare to one another because it looks different. I think what happens is, is we start to look at someone who has a lot of margin, a lot of time, and we say, okay, they are doing so much right now to, to be a blessing to others, but, I, but I'm not. And it could be just because you're in a different stage of life. And so there's no formula to this. If you're single right now, then you have a lot of time. It's going to look different. And you have a different kind of time. It's going to look different than if, than if you're uh, married and you've got, you know, six kids. If you're retired or about to be retired and your kids are already out of the house, it's going to look different than someone who's a newlywed. And so you have to think for you strategically and prayerfully, how can I begin to model my life after the pursuing love of Jesus? How can I do that? And, and so here, we're about to land the plane here in a minute. Um, we're just going to give you some time as the band plays to be able to just reflect on that and think on that. And so whenever the music starts here in a minute, if you'll just stay seated, um, and, and specifically, let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, how in the world can I begin to model this, this kind of love? But before we do that, um, and actually, if the band wants to go ahead and come on up, that'd be great. Um, I just wanna say a quick word about church membership. And um, we don't often talk about this, um, but I wanted to just kind of make a plug, I guess, for church membership this morning. The reason why we do church membership, it gives you an opportunity to say, look, I resonate with that message that you're preaching. I believe and hold dear the gospel of Jesus. And secondly, these are the people with whom I'm gonna decide that I'm both gonna receive love and give love to. And church membership is a way of just saying, this is who I am, and this is where I want to be, and I'm in. And so if you've never considered church membership, and you just kind of felt like you're a little bit on the fringe, um, but, but, that, but that message resonates with you, 
then, uh, then you might ask uh, Jeremy or, or myself or, or Rex or TV um, about that. So anyway, with that said, um, stay seated. The band's going to pray, uh, or they're going to play. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get, we'll get rolling. Lord, thank you for um, your word. We thank you that it pierces us and um, that it shows us where we might be lacking, where we might be selfish. And we also thank you that you do so graciously, that, that you do so as a father who, uh, who wants to help us to become free from those things that hold us back from, from living a full life. So would you help us to, to be aware of you this morning and what you might be saying to us? And when you work out the details and the specifics, that we might know exactly how we can better walk in love toward one another.